Hello all and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. And today we have a very extra special episode. We've hit our 200th episode, we've reached a milestone, and we are here to celebrate together. I feel like we need some like fanfare, fanfare. or something. <laughs> we need some sort of like celebration sound effect because mm-hmm. we've reached 200 episodes. Oh my gosh, Craziness. I can hardly believe it. Craziness. We've been just doing 200 hours of us talking about movies and our thoughts and perspectives. We've had guests. It's It's been such a journey together. And here we are on a 200th episode milestone. We're going to have some fun today. Yeah, we are. <laughs> All right. So I guess let's start off. feel fitting to start off with how does it feel? What are your thoughts on our 200 episode journey to date? Um, any reflections, things that come to mind for you? You know, one thing I've been kind of thinking about lately is uh, just the value of doing something simply for the enjoyment of it. Uh, I am an Enneagram three, as are you, Jen. And uh, there's such a temptation to try and uh, monetize everything that I do. So if I ever have mm. a hobby, there is this temptation to like, ooh, I need to monetize it. I need to optimize it. I need to make it, you know, as streamlined as, as possible, as successful and efficient as possible. <laughs> and um, we've intentionally resisted that urge. Uh, with this podcast. And I think that there's so much value in doing something just for the enjoyment of, of doing it. And uh, we've talked about this before, but we basically decided that we're just going to keep doing this until it stops being fun. Um, and there's really no pressure to, to make it anything more than it is. Mm-hmm. And in a world that's always telling you to like have a side hustle and you know, like all of these things and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But it's also kind of freeing to just have something that you do regularly just for fun, just Mm -hmm. for enjoyment. And without that pressure of it having to be perfect or become a side hustle or another stream of income or or any of Mm -hmm. that. And I, I've just been reflecting on on that and what a gift uh, this this podcast has been for me personally. It almost is this weekly reminder for us that there is whimsy and joy to be found, and it doesn't have to always be results producing. Um, we we definitely live in an era where there's this cult of productivity and results driven, um, success measures. And I feel like our success measure for this has just been, are we having a good time? Are we experiencing beautiful, great art and able to connect with each other and with other people in it? Yes, yes, yes. Then like we are doing it right. And that's been a really beautiful thing. And just creating this space each week has just felt like this weekly reminder for us, at least for me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Taking the time to to ask, what are the measures of success? And they don't always need to be 
money or uh, follower counts or number of listens. You know, mm-hmm. it can be more intangible things. And uh, there's a lot of value in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was talking to a friend just a week or two ago about how we as grown-ass adults um, can benefit from this idea of play and that children are so good at uh, being imaginative and running through the grass and just there's this carefreeness that comes with this idea of play and there isn't that burden of results or progress or all of the things that we typically are captivated by Um, and that can sometimes really rob the original joy that you felt with doing something and kind of enjoying the process of it all. And I feel like this podcast has really been able to stay true to the heart of what we originally intended to be and hence the name of the podcast down around strategic whimsy of really keeping that whimsy alive and well and having it be thriving. Yes, whimsy is alive and well. It is. (laughs) It really is. Uh, Something that I've been thinking about lately uh, as we've been approaching this kind of milestone marker is just how much this podcast has been an anchor. Uh, It's been kind of this constant and this rock for me from the past uh, 200 weeks of our lives of just of this space um, on our usual time slot that we get to come together and just connect over a storyline and characters and great filmmaking. Um, there's been a lot of life changes for both of us um, between moving cities, starting new jobs, new life chapters, um, kind of picking up uh, our lives and moving to a new place through both the the highs and the lows, you know, uh, sicknesses and all kinds of life happenings. And amidst all of those changes, I feel like the the thing that has been this constant cadence and rhythm and just this rock has been our our weekly time to get to talk and chat and connect over movies together. And that's been a really beautiful thing. I mean, if I think about what's stayed consistent for the past couple of years of my life, this has been one of the big ones. There's just always this, this faithfulness of our weekly time to connect and chat. And that's been really beautiful. Yeah, it's it's been one of my favorite rhythms as well. Uh, what cracks me up is when uh, other friends try to make plans with me and they know that like certain blocks in my week uh, are not available <laughs> because that's <laughs> sweet time. And so yeah. uh, it, it's also just fun to do something consistently over time. You know, we've been doing this, I think for like three and a half years now, if I'm not remembering incorrectly. And so that's a long time to be doing something at least once a week. Uh, and, and it's just, it's fun to see that consistency and how, uh, we, we had a lot to say in the beginning (laughs) when we started, but I, I feel like over time, uh, even our, our reflections, uh, have, have gotten deeper and our analysis of films has, has changed as we've seen more things, uh, and been exposed to more of this world. And so I'm also really excited to see, like, we've grown a lot up to this 200th episode, but I'm also really excited to see how we 
grow as as individuals and in our film knowledge and and our uh, ability to discuss films in in a deeper way uh, in the next two hundred episodes. Oh, which is crazy to even think about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. As I think, what's been interesting is that the the format has stayed consistent. Our um, you know rhythm and tradition of just creating the space has stayed consistent but in a lot of ways because there's constantly new stories to be told on the big screen and then also uh we as individuals have changed and our perspectives have shifted and um things in our world and society have also um changed and evolved and grown in different directions there is almost this uh endless possibilities of perspectives and things for us to talk about and unpack as we change and evolve, as the stories we get to see change and evolve, and as our um, society and what's top of mind for all of us has also shifted around. And so if we think back to what um, was relevant a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, I feel like there is there's oftentimes these interconnections and interplay between things in our personal lives, things in society, and then how that is somehow uh, illuminating certain things in the story that we're seeing unfold on screen. And that interplay of all those different aspects together has been been really neat. I mean, the most prominent one, I think the most obvious one is, um, you know, with with the election or that happened recently or with COVID, you know, it's shaped our perspectives and thoughts and where our um, – minds gravitate to in certain aspects of a story. And it's been fun, I think, to see where there's been those connection points in our conversations. So that's been really, really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed uh, how time uh, really changes how we perceive different films, Uh, how, how some things they just feel appropriate for a given time or season. And if you're watching it outside of that season, it's like, oh, that's not as uh, not as impactful as it once was. Or, or you watch a movie and you just go, wow, this is a movie for the moment. And it doesn't even have to be directly addressing anything that you're going through, but uh, it's just something about it that just speaks to what you're living through. So I, I think that's something that I hadn't, ever paid all that much attention to before uh, that I know we've talked a lot about uh, on this podcast, especially during, during COVID, during, uh, you know, the summer of 2020, during the Black Lives Matter protests and all of that. Uh, there was a lot of time-based conversations and, and movies for the moment and all of that, uh, which is just interesting to think about. Yeah, and then I think the other kind of flip side of that coin is it was was fun to reflect on and think about just the spectrum of conversations that we've had, everything from uh, these really meaningful and and really fantastic conversations that really go deep in the themes or the storylines or the issues that a film tackles, all the way through to absolute ridiculousness that happens during a roast or when we're just... Uh, picking apart this one small random detail, usually things that only Sarah Callen would notice. <laughs> All of yep. the the spectrum of um, really great connection points that we've had, and then also just connection over ridiculousness. That's been 
been fun. It's been really fun. We've hit the full spectrum. We sure have. And you know, we haven't done a roast in a while. We're we're in the middle of our, our Oscar <laughs> noms run. Yeah. So they're all good movies. And I really just am looking forward to do another roast. Like, mm-hmm. can that be our, our first episode after? I mean, yes. I guess we have to do our Oscar <laughs> wager movie. Yes. Uh, but after that, we should do a roast because it's been a while. And uh, I would like to feel a little fiery about some movies. <laughs> a little spicy. Yes. A little bit. The staple of sweet. <laughs> comes around and we make sure it comes around every every couple of weeks or months it's a good time always yep uh and then another thing that i've been thinking about lately is just how much i think the podcast and getting to connect and chat with you and our guests about films has deepened my love for film i imagine it has really deepened your love for film as well um there's often times when a film finishes and you find yourself uh, with all these feelings or emotions or thoughts. And I think creating this space for us to really unpack and dive deeper into that has um, made me think deep more deeply about films. It has uh, made certain movies kind of linger with me longer than I think they might have if we weren't doing this and getting to just... Uh, analyze and talk about films the way that we have. And so uh, I think that the time that we've created to take in art and experience films and then to think deeply about them and talk about them has uh, really deepened my love for movies. And that's been, I think, a perhaps a byproduct that I would have maybe thought or expected, but I don't think I was actively thinking about when we, we started this, just how much that has been um, a catalyst for loving movies even more. Yeah, it's definitely done the same for me. And it's it's changed how I watch movies and how I how I interact with them. So like the the other day I, I rewatched Dune with a with a few friends and it's even better the second time and it's even better after if you've read the book. But I watched it with some friends and like afterwards I was so excited to talk about it because now it's just in my brain that like when you watch a movie you just talk about it with everybody for like an hour um not everybody's wired that way because as soon as it was over my friends were like oh it was good and then that was it (laughs) it's like wait what no like this isn't this isn't what we do we have to talk about Mm -hmm. this movie for forever like it's so good let's talk about it so it was, it was even interesting to, to see how like my, my expectations and how I process <laughs> through a movie has changed so much over the last few years. Because mm-hmm. now I just, after I watch a movie, I just need to talk about it for mm-hmm. a while. <laughs> Gone are the days of, oh yeah, that was good. And that, that's it. You know, now I- You're like on I, your way out from the theater, throwing yeah. away your popcorn bag, the like yeah. brief conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it's not enough anymore. I gotta mm-hmm. have an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I felt very similarly with uh, uh, after watching The Last Jedi. Saw that in theaters with a group of friends. We went to In and Out afterwards. I was like, "All right, like everybody, like let's let's talk about it. Let's unpack it. Tell me all your thoughts." And we chatted about it for a little bit, but I just I felt like there was a scratch that was not fully uh, explored and and itched fully. And there's so much to talk about in The Last Jedi, so we got to talk about it. I think a day or two later, and that was that was glorious. 
So I'm glad that that SWE uh, is helpful for us in in processing through all of our thoughts and feels about all of these movies. Yeah, yeah, I agree. One thing that has been interesting, though, that I've observed is when movies do come up in conversations with friends or, or coworkers or whatnot, it's been fascinating to see how a film conversation can usher in this conversation that goes a little bit deeper than just this, you know, normal small talk that we might have. Um, you know, the minute you ask someone like, oh, you watched that movie too. What did you think about it? And and seeing their perspectives and their thoughts and how they felt about certain characters and which parts that they really resonated with it. it I, I often think to myself in those conversations, like, wow, I don't know if we would have gotten to this in this way or it might have taken longer or we would have gotten to it in a different way. But um, it's been fun to see how film has been this this uh, little key to kind of open up conversation and connection with, with people as well. It's kind of this uh, more neutral area uh, to share about things that you are captivated by or deeply resonate with um, that maybe isn't, is, is just different than if you were to ask them outright, like, what kind of characters do you resonate with or, or what do you care about or what are your values? It's been cool to see how film can kind of get us to those places um, in a little bit more of an accessible and more approachable way. So that's been really fun to see too. Oh yeah. You can learn so much about people just by talking about movies with them. And, and that is one of the reasons why we do this. Uh, because it's it's so fun to to hear other perspectives, and you can watch the same movie as somebody else and walk away with something completely different. And so it's this really cool way about not only learning about the other person, but also just learning new information or uh, experiencing maybe a, a different worldview than you have before. And so I I love that. Sure, movies are, are entertainment and they're a business and all of this, but they're also a way, like you said, to, to connect with one another. And I, I just love that about art. Uh, it, it not only helps us uh, dream and awakens our imagination, but it, it is a really valuable way to connect with others in the world around us. Which is why we often talk about, and our kind of tagline for our, our, this podcast is conversations about the films that shape our lives. Because as you mentioned, and that we've kind of been talking about, films are powerful in shaping our perspectives, um, opening up our perspectives to other stories and people that we may not ever have crossed paths with in our day-to-day lives, but we are able to kind of walk through uh, their stories and their emotions and their highs and lows together with them through a um, two-hour experience. Well, now it's more like two- to three-hour experience. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that idea that films are these just empathy machines for us to uh, connect with and walk through the stories of other people that are so sometimes so different from us or sometimes different from us on the surface and yet the underlying universal human emotions and experiences can resonate so deeply. And that's really that's really a fascinating and magical thing that films are able to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's amazing. Jen, we should keep doing this. I, I think oh, yes. it's great. We've done 200 episodes. We should just do a few more, you know? <laughs> Just keep the train rolling. More empathy, 
more good conversations. I like it. Yes. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, then that leads us into how we might spend the rest of our time together today. So uh, one of the things that um, – you know, we, we've hit on is that, that films really shape our lives. And so for this 200th milestone episode, Sarah and I have both chosen films that, a film that has just deeply resonated with us or shaped our perspectives or captivated us in some way. And we have both watched each other's films and we're going to get to just talk about it. Why did we choose these? What is the other person's perspectives and thoughts on them? Just get to do a little uh, mini version of SWE that we usually do uh, in our weekly episodes, but for two films today. So, and both of the films that we picked have been on our previous top 10 lists. So, it's not just some like random film that we kind of liked. But uh, they they really meant something to us and uh, graced our top 10 list, which is which is kind of a, a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Shall we start with your film? <laughs> sure. All right. Do, do us the honors of the grand reveal. What film have you chosen? <laughs> My, the film that I chose is Sorry to Bother You. Uh, it, is, it came out in 2018. It was written and directed by Boots Riley. Uh, it stars Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, and more people. And this is kind of a bonkers film. And I absolutely loved every minute of it. Uh, I rewatched it the other day. And yep, loved it just as much the second time. So sorry to bother you. And I'm intrigued to see how the second viewing, what were your, what were your thoughts the second time around? That's always fun uh, to hear about. Yeah, I, I watched this movie. And it it's, it's, it's so smart and and stylized and has so much to say about the society that we live in in a really clever way. I think I was surprised at how clever and sharp and quick that this film is. Um, I cannot stop thinking about um, that idea and 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 concept that is explored through so much of the film of uh, white voice and code switching. I mean, it's, it's this bit that is revisited again and again throughout the film. And I've just, I've heard so many people of color and especially black people talk about the pressures in corporate America. I work at a big corporate company and the pressures they feel to kind of fit into the work environments that have been established and typically been established by people that are white and um, leaders that are white that kind of set the culture that then trickles down. And this film really reveals the um, the pressures and the burdens of of having to code switch and kind of turn off so many parts of your personality that we see with Keith Stanfield doing for so much of the film that is getting him the success and recognition and um, the big paycheck that comes with it. But this film's really asking, like, at what cost? And it, it does that in such a fun and entertaining way as well that I think is always just a really unique blend. Um, it's hard to do that well to tackle something that is deeply emotional and, and deeply personal for a lot of a lot of people, but do it in a way that is fun and entertaining and doesn't um, bastardize it. And this film is just so 
nuanced and thoughtful and how it's doing that. And so I, that's something that I've just been kind of captivated by and thinking about a lot since, since watching the movie. Yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite uh, parts of the film. And I, I love even uh, the, the introduction of the white voice, uh, Danny Glover's character is talking to Lakeith and telling him like, if you want to make sales, you got to use your white person voice. And uh, Lakeith's first response is to like plug his nose and talk like really, really nasally. And Danny Glover's character is like, no, 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 that's not it. There's this air about like, mm-hmm. I don't need this. All my bills are paid, this effortlessness. So I, I even love that, that setup of uh, it's not that you have to like speak a certain way, but it's almost this like attitude that you, that you carry with you. And that's just something that I've, I mean, thought about for, for years and like, okay, how am I approaching things? And, and how does, as a white person, how does the color of my skin affect how I interact with the world around me? And what privileges do I have simply because of the color of my skin? And it's, it's really helped me, um, you know, look at my, my privilege uh, in a different way. And that's one of the reasons why I love this film. And it's able to do it through comedy. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's uh, part of what makes this so brilliant is, you know, comedy allows you, like, while you're laughing at something, your defenses are down. And so you might be more likely to actually grapple with whatever the situation is, rather than if it was coming at you, like, straight on of, like, white people are, are privileged and all of this stuff, like your defenses might go up, but when you're laughing, your defenses are down. Um, and I, I think sorry to bother you is such a great example of uh, using comedy and humor to get you to really reflect on the world around you. Uh, I think, especially if you're white, like this is a great watch. It's, it's challenging, but mm-hmm. it's also brilliantly done has a lot to say. Um, and and gives you a lot to just think about afterwards if you're if you're willing to put in that hard work. And you you touched on this as well, but I think what Sorry to Bother also lands really well is it, it does um, do it in in using comedy to communicate those ideas without losing that emotional core that is still so prominent and that we feel and can connect with deeply um, with Lakeith's character you know that that tension he feels and the, the kind of um conscience that he feels about pursuing this this corporate life and corporate success he's he's able to provide for the person that he loves and take care of i think it's one of his family members who um he owes some money to for for rent and we feel that desire from him to to achieve and to be able to provide for the people in his life and to finally have these resources that um, he wasn't able to have for so long. And yet there is this other tension and inside of him that um, sees what he's having to give up as a trade-off and the way that he's contributing to uh, these really terrible, corrupt uh, corporate practices around um, – you know, slave labor and really poor working conditions and um, kind of the loyalty he also feels to his friends and his, his fellow coworkers that are still kind of stuck at the bottom of the corporate ladder. Um, and, and so 
the movie is able to be funny and lighthearted and entertaining in a lot of ways without losing that emotional core that we we feel the weight of his decisions and the consequences of his decisions and his turmoil in all of that. And we're laughing at the same time. So it, it's able to land both those those components really well. And I think sometimes the risk with comedy is that it makes too much light of a situation that we can sometimes lose that emotional core. This doesn't, this doesn't fall into that category. Yeah. I, I love that there are consequences to, to his actions too. Uh, he, he gets isolated from some of the people that he loves because he chooses profit over them. And I, I think that's another thing that, you know, I, I can see in myself, you know, the, the temptation when, uh, maybe a more lucrative opportunity has come up and I've been willing to maybe, uh, set aside some of the mm-hmm. things that I'm passionate about or, or set aside even some of my, my ethics in order to, to get a greater paycheck, obviously nothing like depicted in the film, but right. I, I feel like that's such a core part of us as well. This, this temptation to, to power, to money, to influence whatever it is, uh, to be a success. Uh, and so I, I think it's also helpful that we can see ourselves to some degree in, uh, Lakeith's character named Cassius, uh, I, I feel like we can we can see ourselves in him, which makes it easier to empathize, uh, even if we're in vastly different situations. Um, and I think that also makes this more meaningful. Plus, he he's not perfect. He's not a perfect protagonist. He mm-hmm. makes mistakes. He does stupid things. And I, I think that that makes him more human and more interesting and just more fun to follow. Um, yeah, it's he he's a very human character he's a very relatable character yeah uh, and it just makes it more fun to watch mm-hmm. yeah yeah and he's he's chasing after profit and success not solely from this place of like ambition and greed but he just wants to be better i think there's a line that he says to um his fiance, he says, I'm, I'm actually good at this, you know, and that desire to be able to use this gift that he has. Um, I think it's, it, it comes from a, a pure place. The other thing that was really captivating to me is, and the film keeps revisiting, is that photo of, I believe, his father or one of his family members. I don't know if it was mentioned. It's father, right? Mm-hmm, I think so. Okay. I assumed it was his father. And every uh, where he goes, he hangs that photo up and the film dedicates a whole shot, a close-up shot every time to that photo. And it almost is this reminder that this desire that this man has to do better and to be better and to um, continue to build on the progress that perhaps his previous generation has made is is a pure – it comes from a really good place. There are trade-offs that he's making. Um but ultimately, that that is a incredibly empathetic uh, motivation and desire that we can have with this character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and I think it's such a good reminder that you know no man is a, is an island, and mm-hmm. we are all more connected to one another than sometimes we'd like to believe. Um, and so that idea of like legacy we are shaped by those who came before us and then like we're shaping those who who will come after us 
uh, and our, our decisions are of consequence. They don't happen in a vacuum. And so I, I think that's a helpful, I mean, it's so small, it's such a little detail, but I think it's, it's helpful in, in helping to see some of that like historical perspective. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we also see some of that like larger scale uh, in regards to Cassius and, and some of the other workers and, and them wanting to unionize. And, and it's all about the collective and the group. And so this idea of Cassius even getting this job to, to care for his family and to, to help others. And then he has an opportunity to help other workers and, and he chooses profit instead. So it's almost this like betrayal of who he actually is and, and who mm -hmm. he wants to be. Um, I think it's just interesting, the, the legacy and the community aspects of it as well. It's not the most prominent thing in this film, but it's definitely a thread that you see picked up randomly throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And one kind of smaller detail that I was kind of fixated on or, or captivated by is the character of uh, Squeeze, played by Steve Yoon. And I think, you know, historically in America, the, the people of color and those communities have sometimes been pitted against each other um, for, you know, the scarcity mindset, for resources, for access to opportunity, and kind of believing that there is only a finite amount. And so they um, kind of need to compete with each other or suppress the other to, to get there or to progress themselves. And it was really encouraging to see this Asian character part of this community and working together uh, with all of the other workers um, together to, to make progress for all of them, that they have more in common than they do differences. That was uh, really great to see. And I think it's a, it's a character that plays a supporting role, but I think the, the presence of that character is really important for changing that narrative that's been established through most of our history to date. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, especially given, you know, where we are culturally with Black Lives Matter, but then also um, the, the growing awareness of uh, uh, hate crimes against Asian Americans. And you're right, there has been a history of almost pitting these two mm -hmm. groups against each other. And uh, it, it is encouraging in our, in our world today to see more and more uh, advocates in these different groups coming together and saying, no, we're not fighting against each other, but we can, we can help each other and in, encourage each other. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't put that together. So that's awesome. <laughs> conversations about movies love it. and how they would music. I love it. Yes. So we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the ending of this movie. Specifically the last like 30, 40 minutes of this. What was your thoughts about that the first time you experienced? Sorry to bother you. Oh man. <laughs> it just goes completely off the rails and I love it. I really do. Like I just... <laughs> I was here for it. <laughs> I was shocked at where this film goes. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I was already bought in. And so I didn't mind, you know, going, going further. So I, I, I feel like uh, the, the movie, for the most part, is maybe at like a five. And then in the last like 30 minutes, it gets like turned up to like a 12. And mm -hmm. you just, you go somewhere completely different 
at full speed and uh that's here for it how how did you uh <laughs> how did you deal with the last 30 40 minutes deal of this with- <laughs> <laughs> great word choice i i loved it and i mean it's wild and ridiculous and just visually crazy to see <laughs> but uh i think it perfectly also captures something that we were talking about earlier that we were both captivated by this movie, which is that blend of comedy and ridiculousness with a clear point that they're trying to make. You know, that that idea of the workhorse or exploiting labor um, is really fascinating. So the choice of turning them into well, – well, spoiler alert, uh, the choice of turning them into horses is so deliberate. I mean, it makes for a fun, like, visual joke for quite a while that they revisit again and again. Uh, I'm cracking up just thinking about the scene where we just see, like, Keith staring through the small window of the truck, and he just sees these like, giant <laughs> yeah. horsemen just, like, beating the crap <laughs> these um, police officers. Just, it's so ridiculous, but there is such a point that is being made there, this like meta Uber point that after you stop laughing, you think about and you're like, oh, yes, there's so much uh, meat that they're looking to communicate to you as you're kind of experiencing this ridiculousness. And I loved that. I love that piece of this. Yeah, I, I think, again, it's it's that using that that surrealism or I would even say like fantasy uh, element to to tell a story, and like you said, it's it's fun and interesting in the moment, but your defenses are down, so you're maybe more likely to consider, you know, what does this have to say about uh, workers and and how we treat people and how corporations treat people. You know, that's another thread throughout, and mm-hmm. so you get it really overtly in Squeeze and everybody trying to to unionize and, and get a fair wage for the the service that they're providing. And then you get it in this more fantastical way uh, with this corporation literally turning people into horses. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I just, I love that. It's these different ways to to hammer home the same point and to get you thinking again about, about the world around us and how do we see people and, and, and how should workers be treated and all of these really important weighty concepts that we're still batting around. uh, Mm -hmm. And sadly, we'll probably continue to bat around for a while. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to think about in this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Both forward looking, like what are the, the systems that uh, are, are being designed or implemented or carried out today that are um, not, outright slavery like we've seen in history, but are also uh, forms of oppression. You know, like this one deals with um, the worker economy, but there are others like the systems of mass incarceration and the slavery-like implications of some of our systems of government and justice and all that kind of stuff. So it, it almost is asking you to look for where are there systems and places in our society that are creating these these repeatable and perpetual systems of what is just modern slavery. It's it doesn't look like it did perhaps um, 
in in the past many decades of of our history and other countries' history, but the the ultimate system of control and oppression may be very similar. And um, this movie, I think, happens to just highlight it in the terms of um, labor for these like large corporate companies, but there are many other places in our society that are also um, creating these systems and where are they and how do we protect against them? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are. And, and what I love about this movie is I feel like we've just scratched the surface on Mm -hmm. all of the things that this movie has to say. And I, I think I was even more aware of that, uh, the second time around of just how many topics are are touched on in this. There are some mm-hmm. things that are, are dealt with uh, very clearly and overtly, but then there are other things that it's just kind of like brushed past and you can pick that up and, and think about it if, if you want. So I, I think this is, it's such a worthwhile watch uh, the first time, but I think it's also a good one to, to revisit again because you'll leave with, with different things to think about and uh, to think deeply on, on our world and mm. uh, the part that we play in it and, and what we can do. I also love that the characters that we follow, they're not, uh, they're not superheroes. They're not like uh, mm. these incredibly powerful people. They're just kind of regular people that are using the tools that they have at their disposal to, uh, you know, try and make the world a better place. And and we see that in uh, Tessa Thompson's character in uh, Squeeze and, and some of the others. And so I, I also love that, that little bit of encouragement that, you know, look around and, and see the world for what it is, but also see how you can help people as well, how you can make the system better with the, the tools and the skills uh, that you have at hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's so true. You know, her character is using her art and her passion to um, use art to communicate and kind of open up people's perspectives. She has that whole uh, opening and the performance that uh, she has to get people to think differently than they might have previously. And so that is her way of contributing to this movement and the shaping of culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So good. And, and even her just calling out cash too, you know, I, I, I love that she a few times is like, no, this isn't who you are. Like, I, I can't support you as you're going down this path. Like, no, this isn't right. And, and I love, um, even though her, (laughs) those, those calls don't work, but I, I love that she has the courage to voice that. And, uh, you know, help out her boyfriend, fiance, whoever, whatever their relationship status is, but, but help him see who he actually is. And, and even that can be helpful. You know, when we see somebody maybe taking a job that's just out for profit and not actually in accordance with their ethics and morals, like, Hey, let's have a conversation about that. Um, Even that's valuable and important too. And I think what was really interesting about like the the filmmaking components and how they all come together in this movie is that it really created this almost Alice in Wonderland, like Lakeith Stanfield's character falling down this rabbit hole of this alluring 
intoxicating world of the promise of success and access that he's finally able to feel like is within reach. You know, like the the uh, elevator that takes him up to the second floor that is like so extravagant. And it's almost like these uh, windows into worlds that we are slowly getting deeper and deeper access to through this character. Um, the colors, the like soundtrack, it all com- contributes to this feeling of going deeper down this hole and things are, you, you don't know what to expect and things are no longer as they seem to be from your previous life. Um, you know, that image that we see at the ending uh, scene of this whole movie where he is going through this long hallway of all these different colored doors and it's like kind of dimly lit. Just, I think this film through its filmmaking opponents and set design is also communicating this idea of how intoxicating and tempting and alluring it can be to start to go down the the kind of corporate promise of of success that's a really really good way uh of looking at it yep alice falling down that rabbit hole and uh oh leads to quite horsemen. some interesting adventure. <laughs> yes who thought who would have thought you know you just you take this job to try and provide for your family and then boom Mm-hmm. Men being turned into horses, like, whoa, how'd we get here? <laughs> and it doesn't happen all at once, too. Like, it, nope. it's the promise of the next thing, you know, at the beginning for him is to become a top caller. And slowly he loses that that's, that grip of reality and the morality. It doesn't, it's not often this big decision that's... Um, outright in front of you, but it's these tiny baby steps in the slippery slope to get to that place of um, feeling like you were you were in too deep. Yep. And he got too deep. He got too deep. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Any other thoughts about Sorry to Bother You? Uh, so I, I noticed the second time around that yeah. uh, Sorry to Bother You uh, also is in line with my pinky ring theory. Uh, <gasps> no way. Yes. Yes way. Not notice the pinky ring. Oh my gosh. Yes. Ooh. So uh, uh, what's his face? Army Steve Hammer's Lips. character. Uh, yeah. Yes. He wears one. But uh. also Cassius in the beginning doesn't wear a pinky ring until he becomes a power caller and starts like delving into this world and has chosen this path of of profit and greed that is when he starts wearing a pinky ring wow if that ain't support (laughs) for your hypothesis i don't know what is that is compelling because we not only see like a static bad character Mm -hmm. exhibit the pinky ring uh but this downfall is is in line with there was no pinky ring now there Mm -hmm. is one that is that's solid evidence right there yep I, I was so pleased when I was watching it and I saw him wearing a pinky ring after he started being a power caller. And I, I did have to rewind it and double check because I had <laughs> noticed him wearing an, a ring earlier, but I just didn't catch which finger it was on. And it was on his pointer finger before. And then after he becomes a power caller, he wears multiple rings, one of them being on his pinky. Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Mind blown. We figured so. we'd, we. I feel like we've we've uncovered some like hidden treasure of like how the universe works. 
<laughs> is this what Newton felt like uh, when he discovered the laws of gravity? <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> it all makes sense. There's evidence. I, I do not know, but I'm I'm still on the hunt for yeah. more evidence because so far the evidence has been compelling. And I mean... The theory has held so far. So we're just, we're going to keep investigating until the theory is disproven. (laughs) More data. More More data. data. That's just what we need. Yes. I love it. All right. Well, my choice for a film that has captivated me that I I find myself thinking about uh, every so often, I'll just come up in my brain or there's something that will remind me of it. And I feel like these characters are almost people that I've actually met that have made an impact on my life. And it is the movie Fences. So this is a film um, that is an adaptation from an August Wilson play. It was directed by Denzel. Um, It's set in, in Pittsburgh and it's really this like really intimate story of this family. All of the family dynamics that we see unfold in this movie are uh, fully on display, both um, the kind of sweet, tender moments and also all the, the heartbreaking moments that are kind of at the climax of this movie. Um, Viola Davis is in this movie and she does an incredible job. Denzel is both directing and also um, playing the lead character in this. And yeah, I'm curious your thoughts about Fences. I won't go too too much into detail about my thoughts quite yet. Um, I, I feel conflicted about Fences. Um, I, so I was, com- I was comparing this to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom in a lot of ways. Uh, both are August Wilson plays. Um, and so I, I think because I had Ma Rainey kind of, in my brain and the the high uh, production value and and the great cinematography, you know, a, a lot of really interesting like directorial choices happen in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I think I was kind of expecting that from Fences as well, um, and oh, it just doesn't live yes. up to that. Very uh, different. <laughs> the the I, I feel like the directing in Fences is really really weak. And, uh, like as much as I love Denzel and he has directed other things too, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I, I walked away with this wondering if this would have been better with a more experienced director handling this because Mm. stage to screen adaptations are notoriously hard. Like it's very, very Mm -hmm. difficult to do one of these well. And, uh, I, I think that this from like a directorial perspective, isn't very good. And I walked away wishing that I had seen this on a stage rather than watching it as a movie, because I I don't think that this movie really utilizes the medium well. Uh, And I think that there are some things that a film can do that you can't do on a stage. And, and this film really didn't choose to employ any of those. Um, So like, that's, that's one part of my thoughts. But then on the other hand, you know, it's it's an August Wilson play. So it's absolutely brilliant. And these characters are so well written. And uh, the the pacing is is beautiful. And 
I love how we slowly learn about all of these different characters and even some of the secondary characters are still three-dimensional and we know a lot about them. And then of course the performances are phenomenal and, and it's really cool just like learning that the the five adult actors were also yeah. in the 2010 revival of this. So they're really well, uh, you know, they're they're intimately aware. <laughs> of who these characters yeah. are and they bring it to the screen so beautifully. And so I, I, I feel really conflicted about this because <laughs> on the one hand, it's brilliant when it comes to the, the writing and the acting, but the directing and the cinematography is just boring and doesn't do a lot to actually enhance the story at all. And so I just, ugh, I feel conflicted about it and I didn't <laughs> yeah. want to feel conflicted about this movie, but mm -hmm. here I am. No, that's fair. I mean, that's one of the the great things that we often talk about in um, our conversations is when we can see things differently and getting to unpack that is the most fun. Um, someone asked me the other day, like, what are your favorite episodes? And I'm like, it's always the ones where we disagree. And we just get to share perspectives and see how they differ or things that illuminated that were different. It's the best. It's why conversations are more interesting, exciting. Yeah, I think the the thing that struck me most was the characters. And so fair point on the directing. Um, to me, this felt like a filmed stage production that we just happened to get to sometimes wander through different set pieces on uh, through the city of Pittsburgh. Uh, but I think the, the, the character of Rose and her relationship to everyone in this family is just this really compelling picture of um, unconditional love, her ability and her capacity to continue to give and to give and to give and to extend grace, even in, you know, that final scene where she asks her son to, to come and, and she, she asks her son to, to have grace for his father is just, it was mind boggling to me the, the first time watching this, just how much strength and how much, um, humility and grace she was able to continue to extend despite uh, being betrayed in kind of the most heartbreaking way by the, the person she loved most, um, despite the sacrifices that she has made, her kind of tireless uh, work and investment in this family. And just that, that almost it feels like this endless well that she's able to pull from was just captivating to me. Um, Viola Davis also just brings that character to life um, so well, so, so well. There's she in for I think for the first half of the movie, she's she's kind of in the background. She's in Troy's background, um, in his shadows. And only after that, like really um tense scene, uh, is she really to me the main character of this entire story. And it takes some time for us to get there. But I think it also is perfect for who she is as a character, that kind of quiet humility that she exhibits. And, and then we finally are able to see her and her, her story and her struggles as the main uh, focal point for the second half of the film. And it takes us through the end. Um, so I thought that was really captivating. It's really uh, made me think about her character again and again. And I, I find myself thinking back to her often. Yeah, yeah, she was phenomenal. And I was, I was really struck by the fact that 
for most of the film, she is the only female character. And so she's only interacting with other men. And these guys have really strong, dominant personalities, especially Troy. Um, and there is a, there's a humility to her. And yet she is also full of strength and power. And even in those, those moments in the, in the first half of the film, when she's, when she's maybe a little quieter, um, there's still this power and there's this authority within her. And she knows that she has a voice and she knows when to use it and when it's the wrong time to use it. And so I, I loved those moments where, uh, you know, she had to mediate between Troy and Lyons, for example. And it wasn't this like, uh, it wasn't from like a, like a weak place, but it was a, nope, I have authority in this house. and. Uh, this is what's going to happen. And she doesn't throw that around, uh, but she uses it appropriately. And just that quiet strength that she has, I thought was just so, so fascinating. And of course, Viola Davis is just a phenomenal actress. And while watching, I kept thinking about what a brilliant pairing her and Denzel is, because they're both so strong on their own. And there are times when... Uh, especially in the first half of the film, like she is in the frame and she's in the scene, but she's not stealing the limelight from him. But then in the second half of the film, mm-hmm. yep. she is able to hold that frame all mm-hmm. on her own, even with somebody as incredible as Denzel Washington also in the scene. And mm-hmm. I just, I mean, wow. It, it takes such an incredible performer to be able to balance somebody as great as Denzel. Uh, and she does it absolutely masterfully and mm-hmm. brings so much to this character that's just as complex as Troy, but just in a different way. Yeah. Less less loud about it, less in your face about it. And I think one of the interesting things that we were talking about um, earlier in, the, in, in our conversation around films being kind of these uh, vehicles for us to walk through the lives of these people. Um, this film is a perfect example of that. There are these these people that we have spent time with that by the end of the movie, we feel like we know so intimately. And the same way that uh, we are impacted and changed by the the actual real-life people in our lives, whether it's friendships, family members, any kind of relationships we have, I feel like this movie to me is an example of the way that we can also be shaped by these characters that we honestly have spent two hours with on a watching on a screen and yet something about the the qualities they've exhibited or um the way that they have gone through something has now left a mark and has shaped us as the viewer and that's a pretty magical thing that that can happen mm-hmm. yeah and i i i really have found myself thinking about Rose and uh, her her decision uh, in the face of what is a horrendous betrayal. Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I I gasped when <laughs> when it was finally revealed what happened. I was like, oh no! And yeah. uh, and then you know we get the context of uh, she was so intentional to tell Troy exactly what she didn't want. 
and she was upfront and she was clear. And these are her boundaries. And she, she said this explicitly and he heard her. And yet Mm -hmm. he does the exact thing that she didn't want. And then for her to forgive, Mm -hmm. I just like when (laughs) her, her actions in the second half of the film, I just kept saying to myself, like, wow, you are a better person than I am because Mm -hmm. wow. Wow. And I, I also get that like, because of the the situation, you know, being a black woman in the 1950s there was also like the financial piece of it of she also needed her husband's income I think there was way more to it than that but just I mean to to sit in that situation with her and just wow watch her process through an unbelievably painful betrayal that just it it hits on every one of her insecurities. It brings up all of her past pain. You know, she devoted her life to this man and poured herself into him. And that whole monologue that she gives oh. of pouring herself into him was just exquisite. And you can feel her pain. And oh my gosh, it was it was breathtaking that mm-hmm. scene. But mm-hmm. she makes so many uh, shocking decisions to me. Uh, that wow I just I've I've been just kind of like marveling at her (laughs) Mm -hmm. since watching it because she is such a a phenomenal character and I also love that she's not perfect and she has to process through things and she needs time and uh she doesn't you know forgive and forget but you know there is still some olive branch of a relationship and she chooses to do uh the right thing even though it causes her more pain and anguish in the end and oh my gosh but just a brilliant character wow yeah just like it's it's almost if we were able to be let into her world to be inspired by her like we got the honor to get to be in her orbit for this period of time um what was also captivating is that final scene right before Troy's wedding, not his wedding, his funeral. And um, her youngest son is kind of throwing this fit, um, thinking back to kind of the the pain and trauma that he's experienced as a child by his father and not wanting to attend the funeral. And the way that she kind of nudges him and um, asks him to let go of that and to honor what his father did do for him. Um, it's just also a testament to how much she is, she's able to truly extend grace. It's one thing to do it in action, but for her to continue to um, love him in that way, to honor him in that way, uh, and to not carry the bitterness that I'm sure would be so easy to hold on to for all those years, and for her to be encouraging and inviting her son to also walk that with her was just really incredible to see. Like this is not only her and her own journey extending that, but she is now influencing and impacting and shaping and teaching the people that she loves to also walk in that grace too. And that was a really beautiful moment. And I think it's kind of like we were talking about earlier with, um, sorry to bother you, but that, that is, 
going to be part of her legacy is the way that she's been able to teach those in her life that have gotten to watch her and witness her endure this and be invited into that, um, that they know how to then begin to extend that same strength and humility and grace to the people in their lives. So, yeah. And I love that she says something to the effect of, uh, my first mistake was not making him leave space for me. Uh, when describing her marriage with Troy and I it's so easy to like when something bad happens to think about it in like binary terms black and white you know you are 100% responsible and I am 0% responsible Um, and of course there's an unhealthy piece to this but I think there's such value in having that sober self-assessment to go you know what maybe like 10% of this or 20% of this was mine And I can own that. And just the humility to say to your son, Mm. like, it wasn't all him. It was mostly him. Yes. (laughs) But I also made mistakes. I'm not perfect. I'm not a saint either. And so don't put me on a pedestal and don't demonize him. Mm -hmm. You know, like, just see things in a more... um, maybe true light. And I think, again, that just that requires such humility and such wisdom. And again, it's that quiet strength that she just exudes of, mm-hmm. you know, she's she's lived a lot of life and she she's picked up the wisdom from her successes and her mistakes. And mm-hmm. she's willing to own it all. And what an absolutely incredible character that we can all try to be a bit more like. We just... Yeah. We need to all be more like Rose. Like, let's just do it. Let's just be better humans. (laughs) Indeed. Yes. Yes. Uh, And we've talked a lot about Rose and Viola Davis. I also just want to mention that Denzel is so good in this. Um, I was just captivated by the way he's, he, he, he's such a terrible character in a lot of ways and wreaks so much hurt on the people in his life. And yet he is so incredibly empathetic to us as the viewers, despite all of these like kind of um, very ugly, but also very human sides of him. You know, we feel the um, desire that he has to have made it for himself and to be oppressed by society. Uh, We feel the weight of his family and the way that he was raised kind of, um, shaping his his worldview and the way that he sees his family even when he uh is talking about the his affair and when he says like I just felt like I could I could laugh with her and I could be this other side of myself like it's heartbreaking but it's also very human too you know like that desire to escape uh to be this other more um carefree version of yourself and we we see the consequences of that but I think we can empathize with his at least his desires or his his original motivations with that without condoning them but still kind of enduring that that turmoil with him there's so much inner turmoil that that Denzel is able to communicate um through Troy's character I think that you were a lot more empathetic because uh, <laughs> no. as soon as he admitted the affair, I went, nope, 
I'm done with you. Mm-mm. Wall up. Like, so like, whereas Rose was like a little bit gracious, you know, and this is happening to her. And I'm just like, nah, I'm done with you. Like, I, can't, <laughs> I, I don't even want, no. Like, so there you out, boy. You out. A little bit. Yeah. Like, I, you're out the house. I'm done with you. You can go stay with her. You want to laugh? You go laugh with her. I'm done. You know, I'm a little <laughs> bit more vindictive than Rose, apparently. But um, but I do agree with you that that Denzel's performance is just brilliant, and I I think what I loved most about Troy's character is uh, kind of the unfolding of his story, and we learn right away in the beginning that he loves to embellish things, and he he has such a big personality, but he has an even bigger imagination. And he mm-hmm. loves to tell these like tall tales. And so you don't know what's true and what's fiction. And I, I love that we get to see some things kind of repeated by him throughout the story. And so it's like, oh, okay, so this piece was true. Some of these other details might not be, but we at least know this part of his story actually happened. <laughs> and, and he does it with such wit and charm and I love it when people call him out too he just he has that grin that Denzel grin that's just Mm -hmm. like oh perfect Mm -hmm. um but then then there are those moments of of anger and those moments of harshness and hardness especially uh with his son when his son asks like dad why don't you like me and he launches into this whole monologue about I don't have to like you you know you have a house you have food I am responsible for you. This is my duty. I'm doing my job. I don't have to like you. And you know that that's not because he's like a like a cruel person. You know because it's how he was brought up. You know it's because yeah. of past trauma and him not being loved as a child and not knowing, you know, how a father should treat his sons. But yeah. he wants better for his son, but he just can't communicate that appropriately. And then like a I don't know, 20 minutes later, you hear the story about him and his dad and him having to leave home when he was 14 and all of this. So it always makes sense, you know, of of the scene that we just were in. So we're constantly adding new information, new context to this increasingly complex character that we don't know quite how to feel about all throughout. And like our perspective of him changes drastically throughout the film as as uh, events unfold, but I I think that Denzel just gives a a stunning performance uh, and is mm-hmm. able to play all of these complex facets of Troy's character absolutely beautifully, and he's able to hold the tension of all of these different things all at once, and that's it's something really really special. He could easily have played Troy to be a lot more harsh that immediately tip our kind of sentiments towards him a lot more negative or more positive and play it more sympathetic. And like you mentioned, he carries that balance really well. I think by the end of the film, like we too feel conflicted about him and and we as the viewers need to do the work of resolving that and figuring out how do we ultimately feel about Troy and that coexistence of his charisma and the empathy we feel towards him and seeing him in context of not just him as a human, but the family structures and these larger societal oppressions that he's experienced uh, versus the 
kind of the consequences that we see for all the other people that he loves and the hurt that he's caused. And we have to do the work to reconcile, at least try and um, hold those two in coexistence. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that's what I love about these complex characters is they really make you do some work. You know, I, as much as I like wrote him off and was like, nope, I'm done. Like, mm, I don't want to see your face again. Um, you know, because that reveal happens in, you know, you've already invested an hour with this guy. Um, you've seen other sides of him and he's not just this one terrible act that he did. And so again, I think, I think the writing and the pacing is so brilliant in getting us to see mm-hmm. so much of him uh, before we see this really horrible thing that he's done and betrayed the woman mm-hmm. that he loves. And again, just brilliant writing, which you should expect nothing less from a play by August Wilson. Yes, indeed. Indeed. So yeah, that was Fences. Can I just say one more thing about Fences that I noticed? Yeah, go for it. No more pinky rings? No pinky rings. No pinky rings. No, I didn't see a pinky ring. Not 1950s Pittsburgh. (laughs) Yeah, it's... Labor class. Yeah, wrong time, wrong period. It's totally fine, though. Um, One thing that I did notice is that all of his children are 17 years apart. And I just thought that that was interesting. Because... Oh, weird. Lyons is 34. uh, Corey, is that his name? Is 17. Mm -hmm. And then his daughter is just born. So everybody is 17 years apart. So glad I don't know if that was intentional, this. but it is what it is. <laughs> the cycles of life or the cadences and rhythms of, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting. Did not notice that, but I'm glad we've learned this detail. <laughs> you know, if there are numbers in a movie, I'm probably doing going math. to fixate them. So I just, I got to do math. I don't know why, but it is what it is. You just this go. Is why you it. could not enjoy a quiet place too? No, well. the math. Like the math if it was wrong just the pregnancy. Oh, gosh, just make the date just a little different, and it would have been great. But I was caught up on the date. But we're not going to relitigate that. It's fine. No, we are. It was great. It was a great read, though. I love. I appreciate that one. It was entertained. <laughs> I'm just. I'm here to here to serve about numbers based rants and random observations. Yep. Continuity errors. Notices. Continuity errors. Yes, my other favorite That's thing. Another good one. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts on our journey to date, our 200th episode extravaganza? Any other final thoughts? I just really love uh, that both of us picked movies that were written and directed by uh, black men. Uh, yes. I, I remember in 2020, uh, after the, the murder of George Floyd and, um, you know, as the, the, the protests were springing up all over the U.S. and the world, uh, you and I both realized that we were not familiar with a lot of Black directors, Black writers. Like, we just, we hadn't watched a lot of these types of movies, mm-hmm. and so we tried to be more intentional about uh, exposing ourselves to these stories and and really sitting with them. And so I just, I love that without thinking about it, without really like planning yeah. it, it was just yeah. the first movies that popped into our minds um, were, were these Black stories. And 
I just, I, I love that. And it's, I, I think that there's so much value in encountering these stories, but not just consuming them, but actually taking the time to wrestle through them and, and thinking about what it says about our world as a whole and our part in it. And, um, I, it, it should go further than that, but at least that, that exposure and that, uh, introspection I think is really important. And I, I just love that it was kind of a goal of ours and here we are on our 200th episode, uh, still continuing with that thread. Without even realizing it as well, you know, like the, the prompt or question that we both had to pick movies on was just films that shaped us and were captivated by us and, um, were on our top lists and whatnot. And yeah, by circumstance and just coincidences, they were both these movies, um, created by black creators. And that's, that's a really beautiful thing. I, I kind of love that these were just ultimately purely the films that we had chosen and they happen to also be these really diverse stories that we got to experience that were really impactful. And who knows what we'll get to watch in the next 200 uh, <laughs> episodes. All, I mean, I feel very hopeful and confident we'll get so many more stories from more diverse uh, types of people, uh, stories that haven't been told, uh, stories that sometimes will rewrite history um, and also tell about more uh, diverse experiences of people today. I, I feel confident that will be the case. So yeah, lots, lots of good things to come. Yep. I'm, I'm pumped. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've made it to 200. Go, still going strong. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> still keeping the whimsy alive and well. Indeed we are. It is alive yep. and well. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. Shall we wrap it up? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening to our 200th episode uh, extravaganza today. Um, We just also thank you for being along this journey with us uh, together on the Strategic Flimsy Experiment. As we often mention at the end of every episode, this is ultimately our, our why, our passion, our reason for doing all of this is that we are fueled by our passion for stories and connection. It all comes down to that. And uh, we are, we're doing this podcast because we just, we love it. It is, it's such a source of joy for us. And we encourage you to find a way to infuse that same joy and whimsy into your days, whatever that thing might be, to just relish in it and cherish it for what it is without the pressures of um, results or monetizing or anything like that. Just that simplicity of whimsy and joy. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review if you have thoughts on Sorry to Bother You or Fences. You can connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can email us at strategicwhimsyexperiment at gmail.com. We will be back next week with our usual weekly episodes. So we hope you all have an amazing week and we'll see you very soon.